welcome to another CryptoGoss. Um, if you're tuning in, uh, you will have noticed that we haven't put out a CryptoGoss in a very long time, and I need to apologise for that, uh, having had some health issues. But I'm back in the chair, and uh, we're looking forward to a great season of podcasts this year, 2017. I'm Peter Robertson, this is CryptoGoss, and I have Fran Strainer in the studio with me today. Fran is founder and CEO of BraveNewCoin.com with a deep understanding of blockchain technology and the global blockchain industry. Welcome, Fran. How are you? I'm great, yeah. This uh, is welcome back to the show. You've been yeah, with us before. Yeah, glad to say. Uh, glad to be back. That's great. Yeah. And you're in Australia on a mission? Oh, I'm always on a mission. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, our headquarters is now here. Uh, so we're based out of Melbourne. But you're still resident in New Zealand, I believe, is that right? For the time being. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. How oh, good. And um, is there anything uh, particular that brought you to Melbourne right um, now? Or? Long overdue trip, part yeah. business development, part um, there's lots going on internally with uh, products being built and rolled out and planned. and So, yeah, it's just growth. Growth. Growth-based growth stuff, yep. Good problem to have. Great problem to have. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, now, well, um, Brave New Coin is busy in Sydney today, I believe. Yes. Yes. Our head of business development is presenting a uh, bit of research that we've been working on for quite some time now. It's a bit of a, um, a taxonomy for the asset class of digital currencies. So naming conventions, short codes, um, you know, classifications of the asset class, its sub-assets. So there's an initiative by the Australian Standards um, uh, ISO boards, and they are uh, hosting a a blockchain workshop to um, uh, put together an ISO set of standards for blockchain and digital assets. Right. Now, uh, this will, the impact of this will be more technical than... um Legal and administrative, will it? Or will this also sort of overlap with uh, regulation itself? No, I don't, I don't think it'll have much um, impact on regulation in terms of the shape it'll take. It'll, it might just make certain parts of regulation easier or standardised between different parts or divisions, if you will. So if different legislators um, or jurisdictions needs a guide or reference, um, the first thing you need is um, standardized naming conventions for things. Yeah, This is more about the, the technical um, aspect, so that the asset class and the technology can be uh, effectively integrated into legacy systems. So um, you know, if somebody issues a new asset, um, it's it's uh, right now you, you just pick a short code, you know, a three or four letter uh, short code, and you might check a few websites to see if somebody else has already taken that coin name. But it goes much deeper than that in terms of uh, the formatting of that. And so that, um, basically, machines need to be able to understand this stuff. So when it comes to stocks and bonds and um, conventional assets, uh, and when they are uh, absorbed by various different legacy worlds, systems, clearing houses, exchanges, um, uh, wh- whoever is involved with uh, whatever aspect of uh, trading or, or delivering messaging or, or transfer of, of these uh, existing assets, there are several taxonomies for those, and they've been used uh, globally for a long time. So digital currencies need those, and so do, so do uh, different blockchains. 
um, and the results should be, um, you know, a, a guideline to use as you're developing an asset or developing a blockchain solution um, so that, um, you know, it'll be uh, interoperable in certain ways um, in, into the future if you follow these guidelines. All right. Well, that's interesting. Now, uh, of course, we've all seen how uh, difficult it is to get any change at all pushed into the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, would uh, the Bitcoin blockchain therefore form a subset of this standard? Uh, t- or, you know, like, I mean, what is the relationship there? Right. That's an interesting point. Um, so, I mean, nothing needs to change on the Bitcoin blockchain. I'm, I'm fairly certain that's the... Uh, uh, standards committee is aware that um, you know they need to adapt to this technology, not have the technology adapt to their you know whatever um, yeah. uh, standards they put in place. So um, I think it's more about just taking uh, a deep look into uh, what blockchain technology is from a um, you know, naming convention and data standards perspective, mm-hmm. and just saying, well, um, uh, we're, we're going to classify them. Uh, in particular ways, so that um, you know it's, it's easier uh, um, integration into legacy systems. Right. So, is this going to be confined to the actual data structures, or is it going to also include things like uh, standard suggestions for a set of opcodes and so forth? Yeah, I mean it's part qualitative and part quantitative. So, um, on the on the uh, quantitative side, um, sorry, qualitative side, it's. Uh, you know, what is a digital currency versus what is a digital asset versus yeah. digital equity? Um, so we can identify the parameters and classify the asset class into um, the appropriate uh, categories and have that framework robust enough to factor in, um, you know, the next decade plus of uh, how this technology will evolve and be able to uh, classify anything in the future. And on the blockchain end of things, it's, you know, how how smart contracts um, operate in terms of messaging standards on, say, Ethereum versus a different uh, blockchain. Is there commonalities between that in terms of data exchange and... Um, that's that's the predominant focus, right? Because I have a flippant sort of notion of uh, you know what what is Bitcoin? Is it a currency? Is it an asset? No, I always come back and say it, it's whatever it's used for. That's right, and you know the, the reason we don't have clear standards and a framework already is because it's been incredibly difficult to uh, put something that um, is yet to identify itself as as one thing into a box, right? So. Bitcoin is a currency. It's also store of value. It's also a piece of software. It's also payment rails. Yeah. It's all of those things at the same time, which is why we have regulation that's different in different countries. Um, so, yeah, I believe with uh, uh, the technology and the asset class that comes with this technology having evolved um, drastically, um, I think it's maturing to a point where we can consider a set of standards and, and you know, a taxonomy. So... Um, this is just a, a, the first cut out of Australia as an endeavor to uh, look into this, and we expect it to take quite a few months to um, reach any form of result. And then, of course, it's a question of um, yeah, will other nations uh, adopt this framework um, uh, beyond Australia after that? Well, ISO, of course, is the international standards organization, right? Um, ISO is definitely a global standard. Um, but when when uh, I think first they will roll out 
a framework for for the nation. And uh, Standards Australia? Standards Australia. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought I heard somewhere that Standards Australia had actually been ratified by ISO as a sort of uh, subcommittee uh, host for this particular process, that there was already some understanding that it was going to go up the uh, up the line. Right, okay, that could be true, um, and that would make sense why it's being hosted here. Yeah, I think that it's happening is the important thing, mm. and um, I mean these standards organisations tend to refer, the, a lot of the stuff that you get out of Standards Australia is uh, often very, uh, very closely adapted or if not identical to a referenced ISO standard and so forth, so it's, it's almost like a national ratification of an international standard quite often, I believe. Okay, excellent. Um, so uh, I'm wondering if that, I don't know that um, it gives, I, I, I guess if that's all the case, then it does give Australia some standing uh, globally in, in the uh, engineering side of this technology. I suppose that's a good thing. It tends yes. to suggest that there's quite a bit of recognised activity in this part of the world. Yeah, I think there's been a concerted effort to bring Australia, um, you know, to the forefront of blockchain globally, if you will. Um, you know, there's been some very uh, high-level public uh, projects like what Digital Asset Holdings is doing and yeah. um, the ASX and all the rest. Mm. Um, and, of course, there's some brilliant cryptographers that are, were either Australian-born or, or Australian-based. Yep. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see this neck of the woods uh, as, a, as a key contributor yeah. in, in the industry globally moving forward, yeah. Right. Well, um, that uh, that's interesting because, I mean, uh, I can't remember who I was talking to, somebody who has been travelling recently and talked about this centre. We're incidentally recording this in um, what we call the Melbourne uh, Bitcoin Technology Centre, which is hosted by blockchain global we're down here on uh, city road in um, south bank uh, melbourne just uh, just on the south side of the yarrow river and uh, the comment last night was that um, there's nothing like this particular center almost anywhere uh, around the planet we we're fairly uniquely yeah, um, yeah this place placed here definitely an impressive uh, um, space uh, it's great for visitors. Yeah, we just had uh, uh, this morning a uh, the entire board and the delegation of uh, Osnet, which is a what six seven billion dollar uh, energy company. So did a workshop for them for you know blockchain and uh, how that works with uh, the energy market or could wow. work and yeah, um, it's just a great space to uh, incubate startups, which is yep. why we decided to. Uh, place our offices within That's the premise. That's right. Brave New Corn is located right next door to this studio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there's ample room for growth. Which is there great. is, yeah. And uh, last night, of course, was um, an event uh, hosted by um, FinTech Melbourne. And, uh, we had a panel discussion. Did you attend that? I can't remember whether you were in the room last night. No, unfortunately Panel discussion. Are oh, you busy? But, as but usual. stuck on calls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was quite an event. Uh, you can look that up on uh, on Meetup and so forth. Uh, get a bit of an idea of the scale of it. But uh, this was uh, a panel formed of Australian. Uh, 
crypto exchange operators. That's right. I mean, yeah. I know the synopsis uh, yeah. was basically everybody wants regulation so they have clarity and they can yeah. get on with business. Yeah, which is kind of antithetical to how all of this started. That's, that's, that's yeah. something I find constantly interested is the uh, the the sort of the social and political mm. uh, environment in which our conversations take place. Um, initially, of course, blockchain uh, Bitcoin was going to set the world free of uh, all restrictions on um, transactional exchanges between individuals, and uh, that's proving a little more uh, difficult than at first anticipated. Yeah, I mean, it's um, Bitcoin was born during the the financial crisis, the global financial crisis, and was largely uh, contributed to by you know uh, cyberpunks and anarcho capitalists. Yes, and there was that libertarian utopia, mm. utopia dream. Um, but I think the reality of things is that um, it is an alternative um, money system. Um, it doesn't need permission. Uh, and it needs permission at the same time. So if you want to do something with Bitcoin or this technology in the you know finance finance sector, uh, like uh, um, remittance or or um, uh, simply running an exchange, you're going to be subjected to um, uh, regular um, regulation, right? So mm. Bitcoin exchanges end up becoming, um, I guess. Uh, the bottlenecks where compliance happens in Bitcoin. Yeah, it is on the edges. Yeah. Whatever it is, whether it's a uh, a purchase of something in a bricks and mortar shop, hmm. which is possibly one of the rarest <laughs> practical Bitcoin transactions yeah. you get. That was the original vision. You could buy coffee with Bitcoin, but uh, that's a little difficult given the transaction speed and cost of transaction today. But um, it was also um, the idea that um, suppliers and customers would deal directly through the Bitcoin network, that it wouldn't need to edge eventually. And it's hard to envisage a critical mass where that'll actually be the case. There are isolated cases, you know, every now and then you get a news item, somebody buys a house uh, with Bitcoin or something like that. It's probably happened two or three times. Yeah. But then something like that is regulated from other directions as well and very a very visible transaction. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, most of these transactions are, um, you know, they accept Bitcoin, but it's auto-liquidated. Um, so it's just uh, using the Bitcoin network as, as a payment rail, a payment yeah. system. Um, and the transaction component is just, um, you know, the settlement as part of a... a um, a wider set of considerations in, in a complex transaction like a real estate purchase. Yeah. So it's going to be subjected, um, you know, to um, uh, the wider process if you buy a house. Um, the payment part is just, just a part of it. It is just a part of it. I mean, you mentioned settlement, and settlement is a very interesting thing in real estate where you actually have representatives of the two parties mm. have to actually both <laughs> hold a contract and a check at the same time. It's an actual ritual, well, physical it's, ritual. It, it's it's um, largely metaphoric, and that's why uh, uh, lawyers still have um, a constant stream of work, Yeah, um, property lawyers, because... You know, this is typically done, I, I suppose you'd call it through escrow or trust mm. where that exchange happens. So the the dream is that blockchain would facilitate that because the trade is the settlement. Here's your money, yes. boom, you receive the title. Yes. Um, and that's the, that's the really interesting layer is as we can go beyond mm. value transfers, mm -hmm. which is your fundamental 
transaction to actually incorporate the mechanics of some of these other asset transfers simultaneously in lockstep mm-hmm. with the value transfer. And, of course, there's been a lot of talk about that, but uh, it's still, uh, in a lot of cases, talk. Yeah, so a lot of people are, uh, you know, asking where is the uh, mainstream, um, you know, where's the disruption? We keep hearing about how blockchain is going to do this, that, and the other. Um, well, some of it is slowly coming to market. A lot of it is um, done uh, internally at large organizations and is then packaged up uh, to be rolled out to their clients. So, for example, IBM solved a very large problem internally. They had about $200 million in outstanding um, uh, accounts payable at any given time. And they put five developers to work, and three months later, they created a shadow of their existing um, uh, ERP systems and accounting systems and gave their um, uh, suppliers access to only what they need to access. And basically overnight, um, they were able to reconcile their own purchasing of various things which was a $200 million problem. Um, so, you know, I expect that to then be um, rolled out permanently for internal use, but also packaged up to sell to their clients. Absolutely. So yeah. we're, we're still in that deceptive stage where a lot of infrastructure is being built, right? There's no standards. Yeah. Um, there's different blockchains. Mm. And there's, mm. you, you'll have, uh, you know, supply chain solutions on five different blockchains that are all as viable as each other. And, and unable to talk to one another. Well, for the time <laughs> being, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think 2017 is the sort of coming out of that deceptive stage and finally having that, you know, $1.5 billion in infrastructure invested into the sector in the last few years. Um, come out of the lab and into the wild for the first time. And the thing is, uh, most people interacting with those systems will never see a Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be infrastructure as remote to the user as uh, the protocols that run the internet are today. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, um, most people don't know they're using uh, TCP IP you know, when they're, when they're browsing the web. So grammar isn't going to know that a blockchain is responsible for, um, you know, her, her um, payment from one account to another between banks being instantaneous. Yeah. And she won't need to know. No. Right? You just no. want the, the features and benefits as consumers mm. and uh, enterprises and government want the, you know, um, efficiency gains basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think cost savings and, um, uh, well, cost savings simply are going to be a big part of uh, the motivator, and it already is, of course. Aside from, I mean, I I get a little cynical, though, when I hear um, blockchain mentioned a lot of the time because it is there is a bandwagon and it is a way of raising venture capital by simply putting it into your project. A lot of the projects that are nominating blockchain as fundamental to what they're doing, um, I'm highly suspicious of. But, of course, some of them are genuine. Yeah, look, I mean, um, back in the sort of peak of global warming, uh, which is now, of course, relabeled to climate change, if you wanted to, I don't know, do do a piece of research and have it uh, funded about... Uh, let's see, uh, squirrel migration patterns in Central Park, New York, you would apply saying, I want to research the squirrel migration patterns 
uh, at Central Park in New York and its impact on gl- uh, climate change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And boom, you get some funding. Yeah. Um, so it's unfortunate that, yes, it has become a buzzword. It's, you know, we've uh, um, used cloud and big data to death. Yeah. And this is the next uh, uh, hype cycle. Yeah. Um, but just like… Those Do you think that leads to cynicism in, in the investment community? Of course it does. I mean, yeah. there's, there's been one venture capital investment into a blockchain company in Australia. That's it. And that was several years ago. Yeah. Right. So um, a lot of sort of wait and see. Nobody wants to move first um, because A, they don't understand it and, and B, to um, some extent, it feels a little bit hyped um, yeah. or, or sort of extraordinary or unbelievable when, when you hear mm. these claims of, yeah, we're going to sort out the entire global supply chain with our products. It's yeah. like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. there's some viable solutions out there. And, mm. um, you know, there's, there's, there's two parts to the industry, in my opinion. There's the asset class side of things, um, and then there's the blockchain technology side of things. So you could, you could discuss that as, I suppose, uh, yeah. pre-trade and post-trade to some extent. Oh, yes. And then within those, there's um, different key activities within each of those as well. So I think, yeah, going back to what we were talking about earlier, we badly need some standards um, yeah. and guidelines and maybe some of that uh, extraordinary claims would, would dampen mm. a bit. Well, when when you were talking about allowing ERPs to talk in a standard way, enterprise resource, um, what are they called? Enterprise resource planning systems, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, which are basically big accounting systems. Yeah, it's your oracles and your yeah. S- SAPs and that, yeah. And I was thinking back to oh, 15 or 16 or 17 years ago when I was uh, engaged in a project and what we had to do was uh, standardise our um, application to uh, an EDI standard, an electronic document yep. interchange mm-hmm. standard and uh, it was a, a really archaic sort of uh, uh, funny old standard that probably came out of the 70s or something yep. like that. But uh, it was necessary uh, if you wanted to play with these systems. And there was a hell of a lot of middleware that was required. Right? Yeah. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. So yes. in five years' time, there's going to be, I don't know, a dozen blockchains that matter, you know, mm. really, really big ones for different <clears throat> verticals. So yeah. we'll see something for post-trade and cash equities. We'll see something for... yeah. Um, supply chain, something else for, you know, uh, and how are they going to talk to the existing world? Yeah. Um, so we're going to need blockchain middleware. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I hear the most hilarious, uh, grammatically incorrect uh, um, um, sort of announcements uh, during presentations at various blockchain conferences. The, lo- the last one I went to, somebody said, and then we're going to smart contract the land title from the seller to the buyer. It's like, no, you're, no, you're not. <laughs> There's nothing smart or contractual about smart contracts, for one. Yeah, that's and, true. And um, what, what you actually require is externally aware smart contracts, i.e. you need the ability to take yeah. real-world info and give it, has, put it into the Has blockchain. the money hit the account? Yeah. Question one. Yeah. yeah. Is the shipment delivered? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Whatever yeah. the case might be. Yeah. So um, a lot of people are aware of this. Um, I think the education is uh, rising on, on that front. Of um, you know, it's great that we can do all these um, amazing uh, programmable things, um, but the, re- the reality is that um, uh, you know the world's largest uh, metals manufacturer isn't going to take Ethereum as payments. 
So, no. <laughs> so how do you get all that wonderful programmability into the yeah. real world? Yeah. And um, at the same time, the other consideration is just scale, like getting thing, getting blockchain solutions to to scale to do yes. fifty seven thousand transactions a second or whatever is required, right? So, yeah. Uh, this is why I say there's been a lot of investment. A lot of work and a lot of infrastructure building and standards um, uh, creating. And um, uh, I see great progress and I fully expect some of these solutions to work and and actually make some um, disruptions. Yeah. Possibly to the scale where one day you wake up and you read the paper and there's some announcement and it's just, you know, uh, um, it, it's almost unbelievable. Like it'll, it'll be such a massive yeah. Yeah. change. Yeah, um, an abrupt, uh, yeah. an abrupt overnight change, ten years in the making, and, and the masses will <laughs> yeah. go, "Oh, that came out of nowhere." Yeah, that's so, right. No, it's an entire that's not ecology. science fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we are moving to a fully integrated world, I believe. Yeah, you know, and that's that's kind of exciting and scary at the yes, same time. Yes, it is. Yes, I mean, um, some things I don't want automated. Yeah, um, don't what, what don't you want automated? Well, I don't want my fridge to order, you know, itself milk or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have a financial argument with my toaster. Or, yeah. I mean, the Internet of Things is, is an interesting one, but um, I'm worried about this technology being used for um, nefarious reasons in the name of uh, protection and security. Yeah. Um, but uh, growing the, the surveillance states. Um, you know, yes. this is something that we we uh, makes today look like child's play. I agree, and I mean, when you when you uh, think about how the extent uh, that Google has gone to in harvesting and leveraging our lives, our information about our lives, which we happily trade for the convenience we get from using their services and they're just one example i'm not saying that they're outstandingly the worst but they're certainly yep. very important because they're very big and powerful um uh, when you think of the same kinds of processes running through embedded hardware throughout every aspect of your life as you say your fridge your toaster uh, your light bulb whatever and uh, the um, the appalling record for looking after security on our behalf by central providers. Mm. You put those things together plus um, uh, very questionable objectives of, of various states and or criminals, mm-hmm. uh, it does paint a bit, of a, a bit of a bleak picture. I think it is something to be very aware of and very uh, worried about. But in conversations with people, mm. it doesn't get much traction. I find. Well, it's kind of a um, you know a non-issue um, until it's an issue, and then yes. you're like, oh, how did we get here? Yeah, you know. Um, um, so when I talk about this, I, I'm sometimes perceived, you know, as, uh, as a, sitting in the lunatic fringe. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I, I think a lot about um, the unintended use of this technology. Yeah. Or yeah. Different technologies converging, right? And producing unpredictable opportunities. Yeah, that's right. So I, I do believe that um, despite how um, this technology could be misused in, in d- different ways, um, th- there's two streams to it. There's the enterprise global you know, uh, side of, of things, which is, I suppose, uh, um, 
let's just say the the official way the blockchain will will evolve. Yep. And then there's the I don't need permission because I'm purely in crypto and a machine or a code or a decentralized autonomous organization um, doesn't have morals, doesn't have you know anything apart from uh, basically what if this uh, if if this then that sort of instruction. Yes. And um, I, um, I talked about this on another podcast where essentially I've, I think within sort of 10 years we'll see uh, two streams. Um, you know, the enterprise blockchains doing all kinds of uh, disruption and creating a more integrated world for the better or not. But at the same time, rogue agents that are financially incentivized and leaderless. Mm. And uh, there's, there'll be nothing that uh, can be done to really stop them. Well, if you think about uh, the the rumours of backdoors being put into mainstream uh, chipsets uh, at the behest of uh, national security organisations and so forth, whether or not that's true, it's certainly feasible, almost impossible to detect and almost impossible to circumvent. Now, when you think of the plethora of small um, computing units that are going to be used in embedded systems, but they're going to be of very high capability, they will be, mm. uh, you know, full... Um, servers in their own right um, on on tiny chips. And yeah, there will no, be, be tens be... of thousands of these damn things in your life. Mm. You, you, you won't be able to guarantee that one of them isn't uh, observing you in a way that you would prefer they didn't. Yeah, that's, it's a scary thought really. And uh, for every... Every such problem, there will be a, a counter solution. Yeah, um, there always is, and and um, uh, I think that technology is always one, if not twenty, steps ahead of regulators. For one, yeah, um, and that, again, that can be a good thing and a bad thing. Well, the regulators, in my view, are often part of the problem, but uh... it's because they can't move fast enough, right? <clears throat> but also, what are their motivations? That's, that's the other thing. On whose behalf are they working? I've had a nightmare lately with uh, Know Your Customer uh, onboarding barriers to things like, say, buying some shares um, in a, uh, through a, um, an organisation in the US. And, and it's just been absolutely absurd, the amount of friction and irritation and uh, time that it's taken to go through those hurdles. See, what's going to happen is that that friction will disappear. Um, Do you think? Definitely. But the actual KYC and AML won't disappear. Yeah, but what will you have to give up to get the friction to disappear? This is the, mm. this is always the trade-off. It's like what you give up in order to have the convenience mm. of uh, finding things in moments with Google search engine. Yeah, the giving up your liberties for yeah. the illusion of security is, yeah. is well documented. Um, well, that's, that's a great question. I don't think anyone's got a clear picture on that, but mm. I assume it'll be something along the lines of, um, you know, um, less privacy, basically. Mm. Um, but 
You haven't given up, people, have you, friend? Come people, on. No, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> and again, you know, I, I see two different streams evolving, um, and hopefully they'll keep each other in balance and check. Right. Um, there'll be pockets around the world where there's implementations that are, you know, extreme decentralized, and other pockets that are extreme. Uh, fully um, centralized yeah. uh, uses and implementations of blockchain. And mm-hmm. both extremes will be, you know, um, questionable. Yeah. Um, and so I'm hoping somewhere in, in between we uh, end up with, uh, you know, solutions that bring power back to the individuals with yeah. this technology. Um, but in a way that is still, um, you know, uh, keeps society safe, which is yes. what – you would hope regulators are mandated to ultimately try and achieve. Um, you know, it's this, um, uh, we, we vote these people in, and you'd hope they uh, uh, work on, on the uh, with the best interest in mind, which isn't always the case. So, look, let's get into a practical example, right? All right. So, um, we're talking about um, you're buying some shares in the US. What does that look like in the future? Well, if identity management was done right on the blockchain, um, one organization in the U.S. is simply going to ask you to sign, um, to release certain data points yep. of KYC uh, from another organization that already has that data. Yeah. Right. And um, it, it'll be a seamless exchange, but uh, they can't do it without your permission. That would be an ideal world. Uh, like a middle ground of yeah. um, they get their documents. Mm. You are KYC'd. Yep. But it's uh, as simple as, you know, downloading an app and going, yes, 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 next. Uh, I accept terms and conditions forever. Um, well, metaphorically speaking, of course. Yeah. Uh, in reality, it will just be um, a list of what is being disclosed and you either sign your key to give that organization that data or you don't. Yep. Um, I really want to see that happen, so I'm highly supportive. Interestingly, I had a conversation this very morning on a design along these lines. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I'm I'm very vested in that idea. I I talked to people in um, New York back in 2014, and they had a problem of moving from uh, San Francisco to New York. And um, we we had a long sort of discussion about what what a solution design would look like, where you basically used to bank with Citibank. You move to New York, you want to open up an account with Wells Fargo, and um, you know there's no documents. You, you just perhaps show up in person or some way prove your mm. identity. Yep. And um, uh, the previous bank um, releases the information to the new bank, and it avoids you know mm. a lot of paperwork. Um, but the results are the same. In fact, yeah. they sh- theoretically should be more efficient. Yeah. So in a in a zero sum game, all of these. Uh, uh, institutions trying to hang on to their customers by creating uh, offboarding friction, but if you look at the overall system, uh, you could take those costs out of the system on both in both directions, and you can be relying on other ways of keeping customers rather than uh, yeah. <laughs> extortion, effectively. Well, that's it. I mean, um, I, I have done a, a bit of consulting for a um, let's just say a middleware company. Um, it standardizes a lot of enterprise systems and really, really cool solution. Nothing to do with blockchain, but they have a lot of banks as customers and they uh, white label the solutions to banks. Oh, yes. And um, uh, yeah, very apparent that um, they want to you know, 
gatekeep the identities that they hold their clients. And they create that friction so that it's more difficult to yeah. lose their clients. But through the process of educating them and therefore their clients, their, yep. their, their bank clients, um, we started to realize that um, it, it, it's actually an economic incentive. There, there is one there for um, the banks to uh, allow this to be frictionless. Yeah. Um, there's just I think the revenue models and the business models will, will change and um, you know uh, that's a positive thing so uh, yeah. in my opinion enterprise is slowly starting to realize that yeah okay giving giving the control back to the user actually does benefit everyone if there's critical mass in doing so yeah I mean um, customer on s- some parts yeah like not you know a blanket yeah. Trying to hold customers captive is old world thinking, isn't it? Yep, yep. And uh, that could do with a with a no. freshen up for sure. Cannibalize or be cannibalized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thinking, mm-hmm. old industrial thinking. Yep, yep. And um, now, Fran, I introduced you um, and uh, Brave New Coin at the beginning, but uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with Brave New Coin, can you give us a Oh, sure. High-level view of yep. what do you do? What do we do? Um, well, there's a full-blown new asset class thanks to this uh, wonderful blockchain technology. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's not going anywhere. It's growing. And um, how are we going to have this asset class integrate into the real world? Uh, essentially needs um, the information uh, through the channels that the rest of the existing financial world uh, works. So we're a data company. Uh, think of us as Bloomberg for blockchain. We produce news, analytics, yep. uh, market data like spot pricing, indices, um, you know, for for uh, a wide range of uses from uh, just having exchange rates uh, right through to powering new financial instruments to elevate this asset class. So our mission is to... Um, legitimize this asset class right that's the short version right okay and uh people can uh, subscribe to your newsletter mm-hmm. and uh take uh ad hoc looks at various pieces of data and so forth just by going to your website that's uh bravenewcoin.com Yep, we're the, we have the largest um, collection of research on yep. blockchain and available for free anywhere uh, yep. on the web a resources section, you can get mm-hmm. every white paper or research paper that's uh, been produced by you know, various uh, organizations around the world. And we have, you know, piles of charts and yep. um, uh, a range of different data. But People yeah. can subscribe to data feeds, can they not? Yes, yes. So uh, on, on our API page, um, our main market is uh, you know, the capital markets, and we distribute through a wide range of international market data distributors. Yep. Uh, so, for example, if Goldman Sachs wants a good index for Bitcoin or historic data, um, they're not going to call us. They'll call whoever they buy this data from and oh, yes. connect our data uh, through to them. Yeah, yeah. So you're using distributors for that, yeah. Yeah, no reason to reinvent the wheel. No. And spend no. 10 years building a, a distribution network. No, absolutely not. When there's a very set way mm. that market data mm. is consumed globally. All right. Now, individuals, uh, do you have a free 
API that um, yeah we have free tickers we have uh, um, you know the freemium model so there's plenty of stuff you can get for for free and then yep. if you want it for commercial use or redistribution or display or whatever licensing then um, just upgrade to the appropriate license or call us and yep. we'll connect you to whichever um, distributor you prefer and right we've a couple of dozen integrations now oh wow that's that's uh, you have been busy oh yeah. <laughs> Okay. We've well, been uh, around for, what, over three years now? Three so. years, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you've been uh, a regular visitor in this space, which is uh, how I got to know you, of course. And um, as you say, you have your office based here in the space as well. So uh, was there anything else you'd like to comment on or uh, talk about with regard to Brave New Coin or any of the other topics we've discussed? I think I've, I've shilled my own company enough today. That's um, all right. Any other topics that you'd like to raise or? Well, people are always curious about what's going on with the price of Bitcoin. Yeah. I've got some comments around that. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. Um, it's uh, Well, first off, I think it's uh, fantastic that the price has retained um, uh, and appreciated greatly despite um, scalability arguments. Yeah. Um, right now, the Security Exchange Commission is due to give a final hard yes or no to the Winklevoss Twins oh, yeah. exchange What date's funds. that set for? Um, uh, off the top of my head, it's, it's early March, so it's less yeah. than two weeks. Right. Um, and my strong opinion is that it won't be approved. Um, the reason for that is simply because there isn't an ETF on the planet, well, at least in the in the U.S., where the manufacturer is also the index provider um, and the pricing source comes from their own exchange predominantly and is also the custodian. Right? You, you separate you know, um, state from church, so to mm -hmm. speak, uh, when it comes to issuing and manufacturing instruments like that. And, you know, the, the Security Exchange Commission are uh, clear people. They've been doing this for a very long time. Um, and that was uh, a few of the comments that came out in the uh, public sort of uh, replies or, or um, hearings, if you will. Um, SolidX is, is the next one. Uh, I think their deadline's quite a bit further away and they're right. uh, in a much better position to get approval. So I think immediately for the short term, uh, Bitcoin will either hover where it is or crash to about 550 as this ETF doesn't get approved right. with months of consolidation and then we're literally going to the moon after that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my opinion anyway. Right, you think it'll have that big an impact on the market? If it gets approved, the target is about three thousand. Right. So um, either either half mm -hmm. of what it is now, yep, or triple of what it is now. But of course, this is um, <clears throat> this is driven by supply and demand, and uh, mm -hmm. what I'm really getting at is, you really do believe that a negative decision by the Securities Commission. Uh, would be that devastating to the price in the short term? Yeah, Bitcoin's still very volatile and um, you know moves to news to some extent. Um, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, I'm sure that's you know CNBC and the other rags that don't know very much about um, the infrastructure of, of Bitcoin yeah. markets will 
um, say, oh, look at it, it crash. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm oh. still up 100%. You know, you just click the two-year button on your charts. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, would short-term probably look devastating, but um, mm. I think it would react quite violently uh, on, on negative news because there's just so many eyeballs on it right now. That's interesting. Okay. Well, we'll see how big an impact it does have and which direction it goes in uh, – well, which direction the decision goes in. Actually, I wouldn't mind just touching briefly on the uh, – you, you used the term perception when you talked about scalability and uh, speed uh, as issues. Uh, do I understand that you don't think uh, these are as big an issue as the, as the chatter suggests? Oh, of Bitcoin, of course, I'm referring yeah. to, yeah. Uh, you know, blocks are full, blocks are full yeah. for two years now. Transaction fees are going up. Um, look, re realistically, what's happening is, is if right now and for the next two years, there's nothing changed, nothing new rolled out, there is no consensus, no hard fork, soft fork, SegWit, whatever. Um, all that's really going to happen is that um, uh, people who want to use the blockchain will continue using the blockchain. So it doesn't matter if fees are higher, as long as it's economic to perform whatever it is that you want to use yeah. it for, you'll continue using it. Yeah. Um, so it would be a redistribution of who uses the Bitcoin blockchain. And that is the political argument, right? Is it is it a... Um, you know, uh, super expensive, uh, large payments network, or is it a cheap um, everyday payments uh, solution? And um, personally, I'd like to think it's it's um, uh, has elements of both or can, and I'd like to see SegWit rolled out. I'd like to see the Lightning Network rolled out. And then there's my choice. I can either use, you know, the main chain direct peer-to-peer -peer and pay the, the fee. Yep. Or go through something possibly more centralized through a lightning node for much cheaper. So we're going to that's the ideal scenario that I'd like to see. There's a lot of people worried that um, even even that setup is uh, you know uh, against their political belief. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of heated people on both sides and the general public they can't keep up with with, uh, with all of this. I mean No, and they don't care. Well, that's right. They're getting to a point where it's uh, fatigue. It's yeah. like just pick yeah. a plan and get on with it. Yeah. And that, I think, is unfortunate because mm. um, I don't want to see the fatigue get to a point where they'll just vote for whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, possibly not the best solution. But that is also the very reason we have stagnation right now yeah. because they're yeah. not voting for whatever. Uh, so we don't have complete capitulation for, you know, option A or option B yet. Yeah. And of the solutions that are being tabled to solve the uh, speed uh, scalability issues, uh, which technology do you think is the most likely to uh, actually give us some results, which is likely to prevail, perhaps I should say? Well, I don't think Bitcoin Unlimited has a chance in hell to be uh, yeah. uh, to reach um, you know complete consensus. Mm -hmm. um, they, they won't get that percentage. Just because um, the other option has far more developers, much better tested codes, you know, uh, magnitudes of order speaking. Mm. And are, uh, are you talking about SegWit? That's right. Yeah. So I personally think that um, SegWit is the best solution right now. Um, a possible uh, change to SegWit would be to please the other party by removing 
um, uh, the the block increase. Um, oh yeah. So you just roll out SegWiff and, and everything that's with that, and don't touch the block um, size. Uh, could be a compromise um, mm. to some extent, but I'm most definitely not an expert on um, on on uh, you know uh, the latest um, in this political war because <laughs> it is more political than anything I can't else, be bothered it? keeping up yeah. to be honest um, on a daily basis, mm. right? Um, but uh, I, I just hope that we do end up with a solution um, and, and soon. Uh, yeah, I just personally don't think it's going to be soon. All right. Well, uh, if we did get a solution and an outcome one way or the other, I guess that's going to uh, help confidence and and boost price. Well, that's the other major uh, item that would certainly uh, um, you know lift the price. Yeah, um, I don't think that's the main objective. By um, the, mo- hopefully, most of the core developers working on this, right? Um, price that uh, that is, but um, yeah, it's quite quite interesting. Uh, like my interest is not the price itself. I, I think it'll uh, Bitcoin will go to a hundred thousand dollars within the next um, ten years, um, if if there's no major uh, disaster, um, and that's just purely supply and demand. Um, but you know, my personal interest is in what happens uh, when certain tipping points are reached. So game theory and the uh, laws of network effects. Right, um, things are a lot different when you've got fifty users versus a million users versus a billion users. Yeah, and because hard coded, uh, quite literally, is money to this equation, there is a direct economic incentive. Um, so you know it's very difficult to predict exactly how society will use this technology at or after a certain uh, tipping point. But if you can predict that successfully. Um, you, 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 well, you stand to do pretty damn well. Um, so we, we stay blockchain agnostic. We're highly yep. supportive of Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just really exciting to be in this industry. It's amazing. I didn't think I'd get two of these events in my lifetime. I had the internet yep. slash World Wide Web, and now we've got this. I consider myself living in a very privileged time. Yeah, you're living in the future that you thought yes. about back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's right. Where's my uh, hovercraft? Yeah, exactly. Where's my flying car? Where's my flying car? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, Fran, on that note, I think we'll close off. And uh, thank you very much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. coming in again. And uh, yeah, we look forward to speaking to you again. Excellent. In the near future, I hope. Oh, definitely. All right. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Well, thank you once again for joining us for the first CryptoGoss for 2017. I hope you enjoyed it. I would like to thank the artist Expresso Music for their track, A Ride on the Coast, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated.